All right, well, welcome. So we have today with us um, Coach Jimmy Dean, who is a motivational keynote speaker and coach. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so to jump in, I just want you to tell us a little bit um, about yourself, some of the experiences that you had and, and what you do, how you describe what it is that you do. Wow. Um, that's going to be mouthful. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I am first and foremost an endurance uh, running coach. I train adult onset athletes. Adult to, onset. <laughs> to, to run further and faster than they have previously and some to go from, you know, couch to marathon or marathon to Boston or marathon to ultra distance trail races. I help people kind of find comfort in the discomfort, you know, getting people outside of their, their regular routines and comfort zones is a hallmark of our company and our brand. Um, I'm also a keynote speaker that, that sort of came organically out of running some really extreme events all over the world. And people had heard of a couple of the events that I had done and, and asked me if I would ever come do kind of a presentation on um, the mental aspects of achieving a big goal. And that sort of one thing led to another and I've been doing that on and off now for probably seven years. Um, started with uh, kind of a more regular inside and outside sales gig back uh, in the mid 90s in Silicon Valley during the dot-com days. Mm -hmm. And I did that for, I don't know, seven-ish years and made a lot of money and uh, was perfectly miserable and decided to uh, cash out the pension and, and drop what I was doing and move from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area to Los Angeles with no prospects, with no idea what I was doing or which direction I was going to move in. And I had been a distance runner um, competitively on and off my entire life and kind of got back into running as I was transitioning from uh, San Jose to LA. And when I got back into running, it reignited something in me that I had lost. And it was that sense of taking on something bigger than me and something unknown where I could enjoy the activity, but challenge myself to get outside of what I thought I was capable of and, and reach for something a little further out. And so as I moved to Los Angeles, I started training for a marathon um, as serendipity or irony would have it. I got hired to coach a marathon team prior to having completed said marathon. <laughs> so awesome. kind of kind of the blind leading the blind. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I think those are the best teams. <laughs> um, I think I had the, the sort of attitude and mentality and the um, intrapersonal skills that the uh, organization was speaking. So I coached a couple of teams for this one organization and then another organization recruited me away and I coached for them for uh, many years, 2003 to 2008. Coached 17 programs for wow. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, they have a team and training marathon program and uh, stepped away from that, started my own business and program, uh, had been coaching sort of one-on-one -on -one athletes here and there and um, developed a whole training program and kind of lifestyle around, as I said, going after these bigger, badder, tougher uh, mountain races. And I've been doing that full time ever since. And uh, 
now um, I've been coaching for 15 years. Wow. I have a couple of young kids, uh, a daughter who's almost three years old, a son who just turned three months. And so with the flexibility in, in my coaching schedule, I coach on the weekends, uh, weeknights, you know, early in the morning, I'm able to do uh, some stay-at-home childcare. I'm the primary care provider for my kids. So I juggle between uh, being a speaker and a coach and just being a stay-at-home dad. And just just all these things. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like both the uh, the dream gig and um, a nightmare, just depending on the day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says it perfectly. Um, you mentioned in passing, and I want to circle back to it, um, one of the things that you first started speaking about and how you got into speaking, and I think that um, you learn it when you are an endurance athlete, I think especially in an entrepreneur is that mindset piece because I would like to hear maybe it's just some of your key things that you've learned and that you kind of speak on about about the mindset that's needed to get through these events because I think it's so translatable to all areas and facets of life. Yeah I mean I find that the mindset going into competing in a 100 mile race to be strikingly similar similar to the mindset uh, before a keynote where I'm getting up in front of, you know, 500 people to talk about, you know, how to streamline the way that they think in order to get more out of what they do. Um, first and foremost is I think a lot of people collapse um, fearlessness with courageousness. Um, I find that if something's really important to me, I'm nervous. And that, that falls into both the speaking realm and the 100-mile um, mountain racing realm, which is to say, if it's meaningful, if the people are excited to hear me talk, if the race is difficult, I am going to be afraid of failing. I'm going to be apprehensive. What if I do it wrong? What if I say something they don't connect with? What if I eat the wrong thing in this race and throw up? There's always going to be the litany of things that are going through your mind that have nothing to do with one, the reality of it or executing, um, you know, a good program. So I think the first thing that um, I started to embrace was you're only courageous if you're afraid. And that for years I was trying to, self-coach to not be nervous anymore, to not be apprehensive. And what's interesting is the more 100 mile races I've done, I've attempted 26 of these dumb things now. Um, <laughs> the more of them that I've done, the harder, the, the more nervous I've been going into them. And that's because I still love the activity. I still love the adventure. Um, I've heard it called type two fun, which is not fun during, but fun to remember. Um, and much in the same way as some speeches, you know, uh, I've gotten, you know, almost sick before just making myself nervous about, you know, the bullet points of the program and how it would flow from one topic to the next. But I, um, realized that again, you know, if it's important to you, you're, you should be nervous that, that ex it's a form of excitement and that energy can translate to, um, moving you forward in the space. So I've stopped 
trying to zen myself out, so to speak. I've stopped trying to, you know, I, I'll, I'll do some breathing exercises and some vocal warm-ups before um, a keynote so that I can center myself, but I'm definitely not likely to calm myself down. Um, a, a bit of a sidetrack here, but I, I learned a little bit more about speaking in a side adventure, which was I did uh, stand-up comedy for about six and a half oh. years. And uh, there was a point in my life where I realized that I wasn't doing a lot of the things that I was really afraid of. And so I took on what I call the fear project, which was to go and do the things that I was the most afraid of. And stand up was one of those things, you know, writing jokes and putting them up in front of complete strangers in a uh, dark um, bar on a Friday night. <laughs> um, and again, that's sort of what brought me back to um, when something is at stake, when something's important to you, you're going to be nervous and to embrace that energy um, in get focused on what your intention is. You know, you have an intention with everything that you do. That's a big deal. Um, you know, I have an intention when I go into a race and the intention might change race to race, speech to speech, but being clear on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So I hear two points. It's the first, it's that not to avoid the fear, but that use that more as a, a, um, a green light that you're on the right track because it means you care about what you're doing. And then um, to learn to, to manage the fear or work with it to then, um, which I'm hearing step two, is to have an intention so that you're, you're still focused maybe on the goal, which you just carry the fear with you then. You're not trying to like outsmart the other one, but that you're trying to then focus on like what your intention is, is like giving to the crowd or giving your best on the, the trails at night, whatever that might be. Is, is that correct? Is yeah, like in the and I would just... I would just reverse them. Step one is to know what your intention is. And then step two is to embrace Are you not them. just fly by the seat of your parents? That's yeah, like, and step two is embrace the energy of it. But I, I think that um, the, you know, the only times that we're really afraid is when we're thinking of all of the potential failure or the things that could go wrong. When we get really present to what our intention is, we get inspired by it, when we get excited by it. Um, I have a talk that I've done for a group um, five of the last seven years. And I try and bring a different um, set of stories and, and a different energy so that the, the people who have been to that talk four times previous aren't bored out of their mind in the fifth one. And my intention for that um, talk is that they, one, embrace the experience of being human and two, get the most out of themselves on that day. And I think that um, by when I, when I'm really clear about that intention, once the talk starts, the, the nerves are gone. I, I get nervous right before it. But once I start the talk, I just lock in on that intention and I stay with that intention and the, the talk flows. Um, not every talk flows <laughs> and I've certainly had some really bad um, talks that have, you know, ended up with uh, very unruly audiences. But uh, at the end of the day, um, no matter what you do in your life, you're going to be good at it sometimes and bad at it sometimes. And it's 
the discipline of doing it repeatedly that sharpens and hones your message and what you have to say. So whether it's a bad race or a bad talk, how, what are some tools or strategies or support systems that you've used to, to get back up and, and to, to do it again, to build up that repetition and that confidence? Well, there's a couple of different things there. Um, one is I record all of the talks that I do so that I can go back and listen to how the words were coming out of my mouth. Um, I do video them sometimes so I can kind of see body language, posture. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to have a champion or an ally in every audience. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, I've brought a production person with me to, to record it and, you know, I'll, I'll carpool with them and I'll say, Hey, afterwards, you know, what did you really like? What did you, what didn't resonate with you? So getting um, objective feedback from someone that you trust um, that won't just blow smoke up your, your rear end and say, yes, okay. oh, it was great. I loved everything, you know, because positive feedback is good for the ego, but it does absolutely nothing for the message. Yeah. Um, so I've always trended towards people who are a little more blunt with me and, um, you know, people that can be a little more critical um, and help me look for the areas to improve because hey that talk was perfect does nothing for me no Um, you're like well what was perfect what i'm not gonna do like more i'm not gonna ever come back and do the same talk twice um i might i might tell a story twice i might have the same um intention or message that i'm trying to convey but every talk is unique and, and customized to that audience or company so i would say that uh you know being able to self-critique by listening to your audio or video of the talks that you do is a great way to do it. What do you look for? What are some tools that maybe people, when they're starting out, um, they've had a module already by the time that they've watched us about, about body language, about your using your voice and all those components of just what it means to show up and to be you and to be authentic and all of those things. But what are the things that when you're going back and reviewing yourself, which I personally am always like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to watch it. It's done. I think that is a courageous move sometimes in itself, especially yeah. if it's gone bad to go and look for like where did things turn. But even when it went well, what are some of the things that you're always kind of just being mindful of and going back to check on? There's very, there's a few very basic things that I start <laughs> with. So the first is what I call the filler speech. Um, right there. I just said, um, how mm-hmm. often am I, um, pausing to think about um, what it is that I'm um, saying. And if my talk isn't polished, if it's not rehearsed, if I haven't worked the transitions, there'll be a lot of that filler speech, um, like dead silence. <laughs> um, you, know, you have to really catch yourself. And sometimes I'll go through a talk and in a 45 minute keynote, I'll, I'll count like more than an um a minute and it's just i i want to fall on a sword and stab myself to death when i when i hear that the second piece is uh enunciation and clarity can i have someone who wasn't there listen to the audio track and understand everything that i'm saying it doesn't matter what your message is and your intention is if people can't hear you if you're not loud enough if the audio um video sound equipment there isn't great if the acoustics in the room aren't good you kind of have to have a 
ability to kind of get into the space and swim around in a little bit before the talk actually happens to know how to compensate for that. And, you know, you're not going to know how easy it is to understand what you're saying until you listen to yourself on video or uh, audio recording. So I find that that's as important of a piece to improving, honing, evolving my message and talks is just simply doing it over and over and over again and watching and listening to it over and over and over again. Um, there's that filler speech. <laughs> then, then the other piece is how clear is, am, am I communicating the intention of my message? So if I am trying to have someone walk away from something with a call to action. You know, mm -hmm. they are inspired by whatever it was that we talked about and they're going to go do something about it now. How clear was that invitation for them to do something, to actually physically move something forward um, at the end of the talk? How, how much of a hook was there when I talked, you know, about the story that leads to the epiphany, that leads to the call to action? Are they engaged in what I'm saying emotionally? Did it, does it hit? Does it resonate? Did I miss an emotional piece of it that I didn't set it up well enough? I didn't build the story or, or sometimes it was too long. You know, I ramble on about something and I had them and then I lost them. So um, that, that's, those are the three things that I'm looking for when I re-listen or re-watch something that I've uh, already performed. How, um, and you kind of mentioned it just now, and I was wondering, so I assumed it was storytelling, but how are you building up the emotion to make people feel and get, take away whatever information that you're trying to get them to take away? Again, whether it's a call to action, feeling inspired, you know, whatever your message is that you're trying to, to get them to go home with, how important is emotion? And if it's the thing that helps glue everything together, what are you doing to create that through your speech? Yeah, I think without emotion, there is no action. You know, we're, we're not, I think there's a lot of people out there that are trying to find more of that middle ground to, you know, mitigate the highs and the lows. And uh, I always say that the people that are feeling nothing are dead. Literally, when you die, you don't feel anything. So um, in order to engage an audience in the emotion of a piece, I find it's, rather helpful for me to reconnect with the emotion of what it is that I am talking about. And by getting myself into the right mental and emotional space while I'm telling a, a particular story, um, you have to go back through the discomfort of it because uh, I heard, you know, comedy is tragedy plus time. So if I'm able to tell one on myself, if I'm able to tell a story that maybe about something that embarrassed me or an area that I failed, an area that I didn't do something very well, and then that transitions to something where I took that lesson or that experience or that failure and succeeded, that's, that's typically the bridge to getting the audience to come along on the ride with me. So it starts for me with basically tearing myself down, being a little bit self-deprecating and, and, you mm -hmm. know, 
Well, what's interesting is, you know, as a speaker, people bring you in and they talk about all your accomplishments. They're like, oh yeah, he's, you know, run the world's toughest foot race twice and finished 22 100 mile races and, you know, run over this mountain range and through this desert. And it's like, well, now there's absolutely nothing relatable about me. When I get up on stage, you know, if there's an audience of a thousand people, maybe one other person has done those things. And that one other person isn't necessarily going to be more engaged because they just were force fed a commercial about how awesome you are. So usually my first thing that I do on stage is I tear it all down. I say, yeah, well, okay. So those things happened, but, uh, this is how many times I failed getting to that. This is all of the major mistakes that I made, uh, prior to those things happening. This is, you know, a year ago, I failed at this race, even though I had all that experience. So it means nothing. Um, and I find that getting myself back down to a baseline level of I tried and failed and I dusted myself up and got back up, got back on the horse. Suddenly people are engaged and intrigued because how often are people introduced come up and go, all of that's horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, any of you can do what I've done if you're patient and persistent enough. I'm just too stubborn, I think. And uh, so by having that piece of relatability, then suddenly people will be drawn back into the talk. And I go, okay, well, I'm here to talk to you about failures and how they can lead to success because you know, you're not going to make it to a big goal or dream without failing along the way. And I find a good measure of how worthy a goal or dream or accomplishment is, is in a 12 month period, how many times did you fail in pursuit of it? And if the answer is zero, it's not a very big goal. Right, yeah, I think that's very well said. I think that's really beautiful. Um, I love that and I, what I love about that too is just again, like what you do is make it to where you make yourself likable again because it gives that me too connection of um, what people can hear from you. And again, relate back to you instead of it being like, I'm never going to be like this person. Cause I have some, you know, I think in the running community, people say all the time, I can't even drive a hundred miles. Why would you run? Like they say all those kinds of comments. And so again, they just, instead of you just are really good at closing that gap and um, again, making it, say like, I'm, I'm like you too. And this is, you see the successes, but it's based on all of these series of failures, like, like weightlifting, you know, the repetitions of building yourself up and tearing yourself down to get to each, each location. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of people who are going to be speaking to an audience, I think the main baseline primal human fear is rejection. It's, mm -hmm the idea that I'm going to present this idea and that the, the entirety of the audience or a high percentage of the audience will reject my intention or my premise. And, and as someone who highlights a lot of these, you know, patterns of living and ways of thinking that are grounded in telling stories about running really long races, um, I always have the baseline fear or concern that non-runners will be just like, ah, oh, this guy's not talking to me. Like I've hate running, you know, I don't, I don't want to run unless it's to 
be first in line at the taco stand and you know this guy is nothing to say to me um so you know i have to confront that fear and doubt or i'm not getting into the emotion of what i'm talking about it's not an authentic emotional experience it's just me like these guys think i'm an idiot they're not going to listen to me so i confront that one a lot because i do get hired to talk to a lot of um, groups that are companies and, and clubs and organizations that, that are not running groups. And um, so, you know, I've had some of my most enthusiastic, receptive audiences um, after a talk were non-runners. They were people that came up and said, hey, I can totally see how this applies to my business. I can totally see how this applies to being a better parent. So that you know, we have to get out of our own way um, more often than not to, to help deliver uh, a message. So how much do you think of um, <clears throat> just showing up in your business and getting up in front of others and doing that thing that you love is, is getting out of your own way, but in, at the same time, being yourself while you do it, like being you, and then it's uh, the way I see it from the outside is... Um, like you need to know who you are and then completely forget it and then focus on the intention that you're trying to, what the message that you're trying to give to the audience. Well, I think, I think personal branding, like who, who you are is a very big piece of speaking because uh, uh, organization, company, club, they're not going to hire you unless they have a sense for who you are and they like you. Mm -hmm. um, very rarely do, does a company or, or you know, organization hire someone that they outright don't like. You have to have a pretty specialized message to be in that category. So, you know, brand is synonymous for what they think about you and who you are. And, you know, that starts for me with being clear about how people see me, not just how I want to be seen, but mm -hmm. how people actually see me. And from time to time, I will engage with um, a person that I've met and I, I'll just flat out say, you know, what were your first impressions and, and what do you think now? And I, I will literally give them carte blanche to give me some constructive feedback. I'm like, tell me something that you like and tell me something that really was off-putting. And it will, you know, you ask enough people those questions and some common themes will surface. You, know, you might get a one-off answer here and there that's based on one person's perception and, and it won't mean anything to you. But when you hear something three, four, five times, both on the positive side and on the constructive side, you'll start to go, okay, this is, this is how I am perceived by a vast majority of people. And then you can either work to hone and polish that perception or um, work on things to change it. Um, I'm, kind of a person who's more in the camp of embrace what you got mm -hmm. and many many years ago i i realized that i was a hopeless people pleaser and i was trying to like i was trying to strategize about what people liked and then be those things for each different group and it was exhausting so i got to a place where i said okay these are my strongest attributes and these are the ones that people dig and these are the ones that people don't and I'm not going to change any of them. Um, you know, we're going to go with this 
How did and, that feel once you made that decision, though? Uh, it, well, it's both liberating and terrifying at the same time. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, when you're trying to be what you think they like and they reject you, it was like, oh, well, it was an act. That wasn't really me, so no big deal. When you're like, I'm going to be unabashedly myself and they reject you, it's Ooh, painful. It's, it's a little more. But what's interesting is the way that you imagine it to go down is never the way it goes down. I think that, that we think of things in our lives in two very, you know, dichotomically, dichotomically, I can't even say that word, <laughs> opposed um, visions. We kind of think in dreams and nightmares. You know, we have the fantasy of the best case scenario and it never goes that way. And then we have this nightmare of the like, I'm in front of the podium and when I step away from the podium, I realize I forgot to wear pants and like okay, that, <laughs> that never actually happened. But the reality of how things go is somewhere in between, um, hopefully closer to the dream fantasy of it than the, the nightmare. But, you know, there's going to be good days and bad days. And um, by owning who I am and owning people's, impressions and perceptions of me I can kind of try to bring forth the best qualities of those areas and, and you know I have a part of me that still would rather be liked than disliked so you know I do find that I'm trying to make people laugh I'm trying to say things that are clever and funny um, but then there's the other side of me that's kind of like all right well if you don't like me I'm not only okay with that, but I'm going to be really nice to you. So you like me even less. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's that kind of inner F you, um, where I found that I'm not going to start dancing around trying to guess anymore, you know, so it, it's helped me clean up and hone in on, you know, what, what I have to offer as a speaker and what my true message is as a coach. And as a, both a coach and a speaker and in your personal life, are you finding that once you've kind of made that, you've been practicing balancing both sides, that you're attracting a new type of person, like more of those, the right people that accept both the, the both sides of you? I don't remember who said this, but it was your vibe attracts your tribe. Yeah. Um, and that, that definitely has some, you know, synergy there when you're, really clear about what you're about and what your message is um, that type of person that that resonates with will show up and will keep showing up. There'll be people that, that really like, you know, what it is you're talking about. And it's like almost every talk that I've done has led to another talk. And so when people really like the message, they're going to refer you to other people that they think will like the message um, like-minded companies and organizations. So, yeah, I mean, it starts with getting comfortable in your own skin, and that's hard to do. Um, you know, I'm, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin yesterday. Um, so, uh, so it's just know. a constant practice. Yeah, it, it, if you're playing a big game, if you have big goals, if you have big dreams, it's going to be uncomfortable. And, you know, the, the bigger game you play, the more self-doubt will come into focus and you just have to, you know, get better at shoveling snow, I guess. I love that. I think that's so great. And I want to, 
transition now before I let you go um, to be mindful of your time. But as now a running coach, putting a running coach hat on, and you've built up this community around you where you're both helping individuals and then helping, again, your tribe as a whole. What are some of the ways that you lead them to be an effective leader? What is, is it, again, mindset pieces that you've learned from running and maybe from speaking and doing the, the fear project? Or what is it that you found as you've been doing this now for 15 years that's been really successful in, in leading people? Well, uh, one that I've been hitting on a lot lately is um, process orientation versus outcome orientation. Mm, so that's hard. <laughs> people who are goal-minded um, a lot of times stay focused on the goal, and this is what I want to produce, this is what I want to achieve, this is what I want to happen. And with those big goals comes the anxiety of, well, it's not happening fast enough, or what if it never happens? Mm -hmm. um, and I find that when we set a big goal and you back that out and create interim goals, and then you back that out and you create monthly and weekly and daily goals, and you back that out and you create, you know, in, in my, what I need to accomplish today, there's gonna be hourly goals. Mm -hmm. If you get focused on, what it is that you have to do right now to move this goal forward. The actions will usually be clear if you can build out the, you know, the goal, the goal pyramid, if you will, the, mm -hmm. the long-term, medium-term, short-term. And when you can focus on what there is to do right now and you just keep doing what there is to do right now, you get to that outcome sooner. And that has been, very directly applicable to running a hundred mile race and in my business and in, um, you know, being a parent, you, I love being a dad and, and with a three year old and a three month old, um, you, you can't think about the big, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not thinking about the outcome of a happy, healthy adult in college or with a degree. Like I'm thinking about how do I not let this two and a half year old kill herself today? It's <laughs> so always it, such a win. <laughs> it, keeps you, it keeps you very present. And I found that that sort of parenting panic, if you will, has translated to, um, racing and, uh, my business stuff as well. So you, you get really present on what do I have to do right now? And, and sometimes during a race or a speech, um, I write the, uh, the letters on my hand, W-C-I-D-R-N. What can I do right now? Mm, that's and great. That's sort of my getting present again. And the, asking yourself that question will always have an answer. What can I do right now? And you'll do what that comes up and you'll be more present and forward moving. I love that. So I'm going to ask you our speed round, speed round questions right now, and then I'll let you get back to your saving your three-year-old. Um, so you already mentioned, you know, what made you sort of choose this path. It sounds like you just were ready for a change, but I would really love to hear what do you love about what you do? Like, what do you, what keeps you in it and not going off and starting something new? What, what do you love? What gets you excited on the days that you do feel good? In your own well, yeah, I mean, it's a couple of things. One, I love that I make my own schedule. I love that I get to meet new people all the time and that my, the, the, the lion's share of hours that I have are outside. Mm -hmm. you know, That's awesome. I'm coaching out in the mountains and 
uh, I look around at the, the, you know, the Santa Monica Mountains is probably the place that I find myself the most. Um, I, I call that my office, you know, and it's a nice office. It's, it's very spacious. It's, it's pretty cool to um, make your own sort of destiny in that particular realm. It's also terrifying and frustrating and you're never off of work, but I'll take the trade off. I think that's awesome. Um, what do you do personally, whether it's with your speaking gigs or, and or your coaching gigs um, to deliver a great experience for people? Um, I try to engage with uh, people who are going to be taking part in the program. Again, whether it's, you know, a running program or a talk, mm -hmm. I try to engage with people prior to it happening and get a sense for what's unique about this audience or group of people. What, what do they want to get out of this that's different than every, <laughs> than every program that I've delivered before? Mm -hmm. And it keeps me in tune with what's happening now as opposed to trying to do the talk or the program that happened before that went really well when it's not, not ever going to be the same audience or the same, you know, group of people that you're uh, coaching and speaking to. So that's another sort of like getting present to mm -hmm. what's, what's in front of you and engaging with your audience um, by making sure that I'm listening to my audience is how I deliver a better experience. That's such a great answer. Um, I love words, so I would love to hear three random words that you love. Like, what are like just words? Every time you hear that word, you're like, oh, it's such a good word. Um, luscious. That's one of my words. Yeah, I love I, it's such a good word. Luscious is a word that uh, when when you're having a luscious experience Anything. or time, like luscious food, luscious uh, uh, experience, it's it's going to be a good thing. Um, I find that um, I, I, this one gets thrown around too much. Uh, epic is sort of kind of like a buzz, almost overused in the last handful of years. Mm -hmm. um, but when I look f for something epic, it's it. What it represents to me is is grand, larger than um, larger than I can anticipate. And if if something is epic it's memorable it's something that keeps you at the edge of your seat um and then dynamic oh that's a good word yeah i i like to retain the ability to be dynamic and to me dynamic is quick ability to adjust and energizing something that will really infuse what you're doing with energy i love it and lastly, um, where can we follow you and what you're doing on social media or on your uh, website? Where can we find you? You know, a lot of what I do falls under the Coach Jimmy Dean um, tag. That's on Instagram, Twitter. Okay. Um, my running website is SoCalCoyotes.com. Um, I have a blog at InspiredRunning.blogspot.com. And uh, I have a podcast that has a bunch of episodes and a handful of episodes in the can awesome. and there's been some demands to bring it back it's called do inspiring shit um so do inspiring good title good yeah. title <laughs> do inspiring shit.com or the like instagram um you know beware 
I have cute children and I like to parade them around a lot of the social media and it has very you know, little to do you with You and your wife do some amazing <laughs> pictures. I always love seeing what you're going to do next with them. And my, my wife is the art director. She's the one with the great pictures and the great ideas. I'm just the one that married way over my head. So You married well, you married well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. And for all of you watching, you'll be able to find the links to find Jimmy Dean. Um, on the supplemental materials. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks for having me.